So welcome back to the second half of the first episode of the Sounds Curious podcast. Oh, listeners, it's been a while since we've been able to sit down and bring you the second half of this episode. Our intrepid podcast team has been scattered across the globe. Half of us were in China and the other half, my half, was at the International Conference on the Fantastic and the Arts in Orlando for a week. Uh, For those of you who don't know about the International Association for the Fantastic and the Arts and its yearly conference, you should check it out. Uh, Google them. A wonderful organization dedicated to exploring all aspects of fantasy and science fiction in literature and film and music. So great place to meet artists and writers from all over the world who are interested in fantastic things. The other half of our production team was in China. And as you can hear in our sound installation today, we're bringing you to a cliffside in the rural China. We've settled down under the trees, can hear the birds, all the insects. And in the distance under the cliff face, reverberating with the sounds of the rock are the voices of monks chanting. When I heard this beautiful field recording made by our Banshee Media resident artist, Peter Turner, even when the plane comes in, it somehow seems a part of the magic. I felt as as a sound artist, he had absolutely captured a moment in time for all of us. And even though this second half of the first episode of Sounds Curious is talking about Star Wars, the music of Star Wars, and that opening that you just heard is just a taste of Anakin's theme, which we're going to be talking about with the scholar and composer and musicologist Alfred Serenian in just a second. I thought, well, if we're going to be discussing the music of the far-off galaxies... This music certainly captures the mystery and the magic of such a place. So we're very happy to be back amongst you, back from our travels. And as you can hear, I did pick up a little bit of a flu while I was gone. So my voice might sound a bit different for the next episode or two. Our next episode, Coming to the Feed This Week, features an interview with George Reed, George Reed is a young composer and scholar in England and uh, a great fan as well as creator of chiptunes. And so we have a lively conversation about creating nostalgic music for early video games and how in modern technology we have to imitate low tech. But... um, In the meantime, let's get back to our conversation with Alfred Serenian. You'll remember last time we were talking about European classical music and getting discovered in high school and the perils of becoming a composer professionally, but also the joys and the rewards. In returning to our conversation about Star Wars, we begin with a discussion about 
fellow composer and uh, filmic icon John Williams and I'll let Alfred pick it up from there. So welcome back to the second half of the first episode. We missed you. Let me give you a little bit of a history on um, how I started it. It was back before the Revenge of the Sith was released, so it was between Attack of the Colognes and Revenge of the Sith. While I was in the doctoral program, um, I took this course on American film music, which goes from the 1930s all the way to the present day. and. So we studied everything. We studied Korngold, we studied Steiner, we studied Herman, and we had to, of course, in a doctoral program, we have to present a paper. Um, and so uh, we all had to choose a film. And Peter is, you know, going around the class and he's asking everybody, so what film do you want to do it on? You know, and everyone's telling him the films and everything. And when he comes to me, he goes, Alfred, which episode do you want to do yours on? <laughs> <laughs> Our teachers know us so well. Yeah. And I said, what do you think? I said, Empire Strikes Back. So I took up on researching and analyzing the Empire Strikes Back at the time. And so I sat down and I worked out the cues. I did the analysis. I got research books on it. I did a whole bunch of things, of course, you know, how a semester paper goes. And at the end, at the end, oh, wait a minute. Um, at, sorry, that was my phone. Um, okay. So at the end, um, um, after I wrote this paper, it literally was a great paper and i said wow i said i want to expand on this i really do and i said i want to analyze all six films and i want to write a book on it i decided right there and then however there was a minor problem R revenge of the sith hasn't been released yet <laughs> the music hasn't even been composed and i want to analyze it <laughs> So I said, you know what? I will wait to do that. And I said, I will um, pick it up later on. And of course, Revenge of the Sith was released. And at the time, I was working on my dissertation. You know, life got hectic. Life always gets hectic. <laughs> oh, for artists. And, yeah, you got it. You better you believe know, it. You know, it's just, it, was, it was just a hectic time and everything. So I kept it still back in my mind. I kept watching the movies. I kept listening to the music. And, you know, it was there in my mind. And then, of course, I got more deeper into my research with Pagan Music. And um, a few years back, um, Don Michael Craig, I don't know if you remember Don Michael Craig, who passed away about a year and a half ago. I don't. Uh, he, he lives right here in – or he did. He lived right here in Silmar. And um, he actually wrote the book Modern Magic. Mm. He's associated with Llewellyn Publishing, and he says, you know, we need a history book on pagan music, on the neo-pagan movement. And so 
um, I went to PantheaCon that year to start with my research on it, and I was very jazzed up and excited about it. However, it's, I had a lot of roadblocks on it. Number one, there were some people, because uh, I had to interview. That's the only way it could be done, is interview these people um, one by one because of they were there. Right. Primary, um, re- absolutely primary research, and very much along the ethnomusicology lines. Right. Hence, discussion, so, previous uh, discussion. A few people got back to me, um, and I was so grateful that Ann Hill did, who actually coined the term pagan music. Um, right. With her busy schedule, she got back to me, and she did the interview with me. But lo- lo- in large, no one got back to me. Very few people did. And hmm. I cannot write a book unless I talk to them about right. this. I need, you know, primary sources here. And it would cost me an arm and a leg to travel around the country to to seek them out because I know where they are and I know where I can find them, especially at a lot of pagan festivals and everything. And right. I can do the interview like that. But, you know, I could do the interview through Skype a lot easier <laughs> where, you know, I don't have to be traveling around and everything. Right. You know, Thank and just for Skype. to the point, yeah. You know, and, you know, that was a roadblock. And I was I I have three chapters of a book on music as a magical tool, which actually is part of that musical composition I'm going to write about using music as a magical tool in ritual and for ministers, pagan ministers. And I couldn't find a publisher for it. They constantly were scared about publishing a book on music without out a CD. I go, look, you don't need a CD. <laughs> I, could, I go, all you do is go to YouTube and you can hear these things. Right. All you, you know? need to do is provide links nowadays. Yeah. It's not like anybody hosts yeah. their own media. Who yeah. has a disk drive? Yeah. You know, and the thing is, um, I kept selling them. I, you know, the licensing, this and that, because they weren't going to pay for the licensing. I have to pay for it. So, you know what? Last year, I just was you know, forget it. This is not working. And I was at a dead point last year. Um, I don't know if you remember last year, my life was really in a very rough point. Uh, my father being in the hospital and all that stuff happening health wise. And then, um, I started to getting a little distracted with electronic music at the time and everything. So things were kind of, um, going away from me. Yeah, and you then, were at crossroads. Yeah, I was definitely, you know, Hecate was there with me. Um, <laughs> and then um, there's this friend of mine, Benjamin, who is also a musician. He's a violinist, and he's um, also um, a huge Star Wars fan like me. You know, we talk about Star Wars all the time, but then we started talking about the music. And it's like, wow, he just started telling me about the light motifs, And it just started rolling along in my head again. And I go, you know what, Alfred? You have to write this book. Absolutely. Now, on that note, okay. I on that note, pardon the pun, uh, because I wanted, I want to right. stop for a second and have you explain because you've used the word the the term leitmotif several times, and for most of us, we know the term from Wagner primarily, the idea of associating a melody with a certain character. But you and and certainly in film, um, the use of leitmotifs to identify characters, to identify even emotions and. Um, 
Uh, often there are th various themes associated with certain narrative arcs, but why don't you talk a little bit about the use of light motives, um, sometimes called light motifs, sometimes called light motives. Um, why don't you explain a little bit about that and how the pursuit of these short identifying melodies led you further and further into the musical language of the films? Sure. Uh, the thing is, the leitmotif, which is the basis of film music, it's actually the exact same thing as Wagnerian operas. And that's where the inspiration was. It basically describes a character, an event, a non-object, you know, uh, something that's not an object. It could describe that too, even. Um, so it just describes some element from the film that reoccurs. A lot of times it should reoccur, although sometimes it doesn't reoccur. Now, uh, the very first film score, which was King Kong, 1933, was composed by Max Steiner, who studied with Muller, and he knew Wagnerian operas very well. So he created a leitmotif for King Kong, and that was the only leitmotif in that film. Mm. But that started, that became a chain link. Then came Korngold. Now, Korngold, who was a master um, of composing, as we all know, started to compose for films too. And he said, film music is an, is an opera without words. And he's mm. right, it is. Mm -hmm. And so he started composing in the same concept. And then Steiner did Gone with the Wind, which had countless, countless uh, leitmotifs. But the last of the composers to do leitmotifs a lot is uh, Bernard Herrmann. And of course, John Williams is the first one to bring it back again. But one thing about a lot of film scores, particularly not in the golden age, but more in the more modern time, there'd be about two or three leitmotifs. That's it throughout the whole film. Um, John Williams took it at another level. He has a lot of leitmotifs. I mean, all, like minor characters have leitmotifs in his uh, films. And he expanded on it. That's what he did. Now, the best one of all the films with leitmotifs is Revenge of the Sith, episode three. People shun it down because of the acting, because of this, because of that. But that film is a masterpiece. It is a chain of leitmotifs. Now, um, I know the um, original trilogy very well, so I've analyzed those to death. Um, I haven't quite done all the analysis. I've done an analysis of the prequels, but this is where uh, Benjamin comes in. He knows those from the back of his head, like brilliantly. So he's actually contributing to my book by um, analyzing them. And he brought so much things to my eyes about it because John Williams does something that no other composer has done, at least to my knowledge, is he transforms one leitmotif into another.
Now, the thing is, the Anakin theme is basically a lot more deeper. Um, and I think this shows stylistically that um, 20 years between the two uh, trilogies. But basically, the Anakin theme shows the de development of Anakin, who becomes Darth Vader. Right. Um, it's a very innocent theme that starts developing, and it has the Darth Vader theme intertwined or embedded in there. You can hear it. Mm -hmm. and, through, and as the films progress from episode one all the way to number three, Revenge of the Sith, the, the theme transforms, and he takes parts of it, parts of it in different uh, narratives. And it's like, so Anakin transforms and his light motif transforms, where it ultimately becomes the Darth Vader theme that John Williams does that no other composer of film music have I seen done. At least no one else has ever e explained that to me mm. or shown that to me. And this is such an eye opener. And the thing is, I didn't even realize this until very recently. You know, um, like I said, Benjamin is really, really good with the prequels, and he's the one that brought my eyes to it because it's just the Anakin theme. It's like, wow, this is what he's doing? Oh, my God. It's like John Williams is a genius. It's something that I really think that people should know about before they cross-judge the prequels. Because of those are masterpieces, masterpieces. We are talking about a highly evolved John Williams in those films. And it's very important to bring this out. And also what I've actually decided to do is to go back and listen to his earlier scores. The, the three disaster films that he did, Towering Inferno, Poseidon Adventure. Just because of, I want to see John Williams as a composer being developed, how does he do light motifs back then as opposed to now? Because his light motifs wow. have developed, obviously. If the Anakin theme is doing this throughout the prequels. And of course, as luck would have it, just as we start to get into the idea of transformation of light motifs and the characters and Anakin becoming Darth Vader, Skype decides to crap out on us and we have to hang up and call back so we get back into it at an interesting spot anyway okay. so okay. you were talking about so, the anakin theme well let's see you were talking about the anakin theme developing into the darth vader theme and how and and this was actually a point that i wanted to emphasize anyway so we can jump in here that is it possible to a certain extent that the prequels were far more successful on the musical front as a story, as you know, that they further the narrative in essence more continuously and thoroughly and at the same level of quality than say the films actually did. And now it's as right. if the films have caught back up with John Williams. Well, I guess you can say that for sure because of the music is definitely, um, Something that, I, you know, honestly, people neglected the music, too, because they just kind of lumped it together. Sure. Because he didn't, he didn't even get nominated for, you know. Um, but the thing is, I just really want to say that it, it's the music that brought, bumped up the films up to a high level. The music did it. Even though I really like the story, 
the story of Anakin developing and becoming Darth Vader. It's an important thing. Um, you know, the portrayal of the story about how society created, you know, I think you and I talked about it, society created Darth Vader, you know. And that was where we left it with Dr. Alfred Serenian in our conversation about Star Wars. Skype gods were not on our side that day. And I apologize for some of the audio inflections that Skype decided to add to our first conversation. Sadly, it was not on my end. So there was not a lot I could do about it. But I want to thank our first guest, Alfred Serenian, for all of his time and his brilliant thoughts about Star Wars. If you want to hear more about this uh, subject matter and more of his thoughts on the music of Star Wars, you should really check out his blog. And you can find that over at the show notes at www.bansheemedia.com. I'd like to end today with the second movement of Alfred Serenian's beautiful string quartet. And again, information about him and all of his pieces can be found at www.bansheemedia.com. Thank you. 